0: The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business on News Talk. Now, it is time for Ask the Expert, the part of our show where we have an expert answer your personal questions. Here to answer your legal queries today is Sonia McEntee, Principal Solicitor at Sonia McEntee Solicitors and Chair of the Law Society PR Committee. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Stephanie. We have loads of texts in for you. uh, So we'll just get straight into it. Um, If a father or mother continuously breaches court-ordered access and the judge does not act on the breach, what can the other parent do? Can they go to a higher court or can they ask to change the judge?
1: Oh, that's a really difficult one. And there, there are real human elements to this as well. And I suppose... Two sides to every to every story, but where someone feels that that 's the situation that they 're in, um, really what they, all that they can do is keep bringing it back to the attention of the court. The courts are reluctant though to penalize parents in family law uh, situations, and it can give rise to some real difficulties. There may be bigger issues there that need to be addressed where the family needs maybe some outside support, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some support from other types of professionals. So um, that might be um, psychotherapists or family therapists or sometimes children, you know, need some additional interventions as well in terms of assistance to. So bringing it back up with the court. In terms of the court proceedings, by all means, it has to be raised with the court. There's no doubt about that. But I think experience tells us that the courts are unwilling to really penalise parents um, the second part of the question was around you know can can we go to another court not unless you're going to appeal an order that has been made Okay. Um, so it may be a situation where an access arrangement that's in place at the moment may be something that has been voluntarily agreed it may have been mediated it, it may be a court order so you have to look at all of those questions as well before I could be more specific on that Brilliant okay um, could
0: you please explain what it means to have a life interest in a property in oh, court an,
1: yeah so a life interest is it's an unusual kind of a property interest and one that we would have seen far more in the past maybe than in modern times. So a life interest is where someone has not, it, it's something more than a right to reside. So a right to reside in a property is where you have a legal right to live in that property, a specified property for the rest of your days. Mm-hmm. And when you die, the owner of the property can then deal with the property in whatever way they want to. They can sell it, they can live in it, they can, they can do what they want with it. But a life interest is something more. And a life tenant which is the term that's used does have additional legal rights so for example they can sell the property however they must maintain the capital sum for the benefit of the property owner so it's quite a complex area of law It's one that we would have seen in the past where maybe properties were traditionally in the names of husbands and life interests then were left to wives after the husband died with the property then to pass to perhaps a child or whatever whatever afterwards. So we see less and less of this as time goes on. It's actually a complex form of trust. If you come across a life interest, there are definitely tax implications to be considered. So, you know, it's... People will see them from time to time, but they're not that common, really. Okay, Um,
0: I'm looking for some advice. A former employer is not acknowledging my correspondence. I'm looking for the return of my academic transcripts and a letter stating my years of service to the organisation, which is a state body.
1: Are they legally obliged to provide this if I request it? Um, or there has to be a means of of getting back your information like that Um, unfortunately that might take the likes of a solicitor's letter but I mean an employer can't withhold that information from you the data protection commissioner might be another uh, option there but again with time and resources I don't know how long something you know it might take to go that How much does a solicitor's letter cost? I can't imagine it would be terribly expensive in a very limited circumstance like that Right Um, I suppose you might want to weigh that against the cost of getting your transfer transcripts again, again. From, the, from the institution concerned. Um, but by all means, I think let the employer know that what you're going to do next is it's take solic- legal advice okay. and, and that they will get a solicitor's letter and that they should seek to avoid that, that it'll just resolve in cost that is unnecessary, you know.
0: Hi, my sister died last year. We found a draft from solicitor... Uh, a draft will from the solicitor it's over 20 years old but it's not signed or finalised no other will available is it valid or will the estate have to
1: go into administration? Yeah, no that sounds like the estate will have to go into administration and that the um, well, I say into administration sounds like something something different but that the estate would be administered under the laws of intestacy. Alright so um, I suppose a draft document like that that hasn't been signed um, won't, won't be valid and, and can't be proven to be the last wishes of the person concerned. The person concerned, though, obviously gives some thought to making a will, so it would definitely be worth inquiring with maybe other solicitors. You know that person might have engaged with, or even solicitors in the locality uh, where the person lived. Um so as solicitors ourselves, when we're asked these kinds of questions, we'd regularly place adverts in our own magazine, The Lost Society Gazette, that, people, that other solicitors will read and say, oh, well, do, do I have a will, will for that? Sonia McEntee okay. that might have been made subsequently? So definitely worth carrying out those kinds of checks in case there was clearly a, a thought there at a point in time, I must make a will or I'm thinking about doing a will. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was done um, and, and that will is there to be located somewhere. I have enduring power of attorney set up with my mother
0: and how does the new law regarding assisted decision making affect that, Brian?
1: Uh, Okay, so the answer to that will depend on whether the enduring power of attorney was entered into prior to the new rules which came into effect last April or whether it has been registered subsequent to that. So I'm going to assume it was done prior to April because there have been very, very few that have been registered since last April. And it's the old rules that will apply. So um, where an enduring power of attorney has been created the person who has created the power, the donor, they have to be shown to be losing capacity. So becoming either incapable or becoming incapable of making decisions for themselves. So that's the first question. And that has to come from medical professionals. So maybe a GP or maybe a treating doctor if there are other, mm-hmm. uh, other doctors involved. So once, the uh, donor is certified as becoming incapable of managing their own affairs and application is made into the High Court offices and the Enduring Power of Attorney is registered and then the attorney gets to take um, or takes up the powers and and they can administer the affairs of the person concerned. So I think that that's probably the route that's relevant in relation to this.
0: Okay, so the new rules don't have any implication for what they have previously decided. The
1: the new rules don't apply in respect of Enduring Powers of Attorney that were entered into prior to April last year. So say up to the... the end of March last year. Um, but, but if you're entering into it now? If you're entering into it, there's an entirely new process and um, it's entirely online and it's been very slow to get up and running and I think that there may still be less than 20 enduring powers in the whole of the country that have been registered since last April. Okay. Whereas I know in our practice we would have been doing multiples of 20 in, on an annual basis. Right. You know, so so I think the system there is still... Is that still, concerning? It, need, it is concerning. Um, it's certainly concerning for us as solicitors in terms of Clients who want the freedom to appoint their own attorneys, if these situations uh, might arise, they want to do it in private. They don't necessarily want other people to know that they have these arrangements arrangements made. So I know there are ongoing discussions between the new decision support support service and the likes of the Law Society um, around the procedures to be followed in these cases. So I just, it, it's a system I think that has been very slow to get off the ground. Hopefully we'll see, hopefully we'll see it becoming a little more workable into the future and, and get that up and running again. For those who want it. Another question here for
0: you. My ex-husband took my engagement ring and refuses to give it back. He says it is his because he paid for it. Despite our divorce, it is of sentimental value and I feel that it is mine. What route can I go?
1: Oh God, it's it's, it's awful to hear uh, questions like this, but but the engagement ring is hers. Um, that That's the ownership of the ring. Um, I suppose, how do you compel someone to give that back? And, an engagement ring is given as a gift on the promise of marriage, if you like. So if an engagement is broken the engagement ring may have to go back, um, but <clears throat> but where the marriage proceeds and the marriage goes ahead, the engagement ring is 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 the property of the person that it was given to. Um, it's maybe surprising that it didn't come up in the context of the divorce. If the divorce has already been um, has has already been progressed or has already been achieved, you would think that maybe that was something I can understand her wanting the engagement ring, um, that it wouldn't have come up in that context as well. Um, otherwise, I, if he really won't give it back, she's possibly going to she'll need to take some additional legal advice. Uh, okay. Steph, I'm not really sure what the answer to that one is, but it may be a simple application back into court where the divorce was granted and to ask for that. And if the divorce isn't fully granted yet. Well then I think there's still time to bring it into and and to deal with it as part of because you know the divorce deals with the overall assets so everything that the couple own between them is literally kind of laid out on the table and it's all assessed and and really the engagement ring should be there as as part of that.
0: that. And if if the divorce has proceeded get some. I think go back
1: to the solicitor who might have managed the divorce and speak further to them on that. Um, another question: I
0: got my son a drone for Christmas. Now the neighbours are complaining that when he flies it too high, they feel as if he is invading their privacy. Are there laws around drones, and where or when they can't be flown? Well,
1: <clears> oh, <throat> there are some rules and regulations around the use of drones, and privacy is definitely a concern for people who are um, who feel they have drones flying over their property. So, for and particularly for a young person who might have got a drone as as a present. Um, If they're flying it at a height in the vicinity of neighbouring properties, really there should just be a little conversation with the neighbours to say, look, my son is going out into the back garden and he's going to be flying his drone for an hour or two and, and are we OK and that sort of thing. Um, where there are, um, it'll depend on the technology in the drone as well in terms of whether it can record and how it's triggered and th- and things like that. So um, there may be GDPR and other privacy concerns that are there. I think that um, flying the drones out in open space is a better idea mm-hmm. um, and certainly more likely to lead to better neighbourly relations. right? I'd, so, I'd, avoid, I'd avoid the drone being flown across neighbouring properties really is what I'm, what right. I'm
0: saying. Uh, right. And even if it's like at a height above their own property are you just yeah. like suggest to the neighbour like look this can't record or if it can record then you need to do it somewhere well, else.
1: That you see it, it's it, again it will go to the quality of the technology and whether wh- wh- whether or what what can be identified yeah. from, um, from the technology that's there. I mean any of us are entitled not to be identifiable from the mm-hmm. likes of a drone. All right, so how high do you have to go so that somebody or something or perhaps um, a car outside is not identifiable? I would have thought that's pretty high. Um, and then are you allowed to just take,
0: like is this person allowed to take their son like, to the Phoenix Park and fly the drone
1: or is that because then there are also public people that's a public place, so it's... N- well, it's a public place, so it is. So it, I suppose privacy concerns are a little different in that public okay. open space. But there, there are other, I suppose, safety elements to this as well. So you don't want the drone outside of your line of sight. You want to, you know, you want to keep it within a reasonable range. Um, and I think that where it's a younger person involved, that they're always supervised when they're doing it okay. as well. Uh, we live next to a boundary
0: wall of a large house with trees that are twice the size of our three story house roots are coming up through our garden and we lose all sunshine at 12 noon from our entire garden do we have any rights we're 10 years in this house
1: OK, rights, are, there are some rights. Um, they're not um, unrestricted. So um, maybe the most common question that comes up in relation to trees tends to be about overhanging branches. Um, but similar rules apply in relation to roots that are encroaching um, onto a neighbouring property. So you are entitled to have something done about those roots. Now, any work that is undertaken in relation to a tree has to take account of the um, stability of the tree and safety considerations as well. So you can't carry work out on a tree that belongs to a neighbour. <clears throat> even if it's encroaching your on your property if that's going to impact on the on the stability the of, the of the tree itself so definitely some advice to be taken around this you are entitled to have something done about the roots that are encroaching Talking to your neighbour is going to be the first thing to do. Some expert advice might be required. And in the event that you can't reach some resolution, um, you can go to court and look for a works order. You can go into the district court and look for a works order. You'll need to know what it is that you want to do. It'll have to be reasonable in the circumstances and um, you'll have to be able to yeah set out very clearly what it is that you want to do and why. And we'll finish on this
0: one. My mother's wedding ring was not left to anyone in her will, but both me and my sister want it. Can I legally challenge her for it?
1: Oh um, well, there's reference to a will. So if there's no specific reference to a um, to a particular item item in a will, well then it'll come within the residue. So you have to look at who was the residuary uh, beneficiary under that will. So if the residuary beneficiary is one or other of those people, well then that's who the ring. What's a residuary to. beneficiary then? The residuary beneficiary is the person who who um, benefits from what is left in the estate after any specific bequests have made. Okay. So, so very many people actually just make their wills in very general terms. Maybe I leave everything to my partner and uh, to, and after my partner dies, or if my partner predeceases me to my children. But for people who may not, who may have other terms written in the wills, they might say, well, I want to leave my house to one daughter. I want to leave my uh, holiday home to another child. Mm-hmm. And then the residue of my estate. So my, everything else too? Everything else, literally okay. everything else that I own at the time of my death then. Goes to the the nominated residuary beneficiary. So unless the will has unless the wedding ring or engagement ring has been specifically dealt with, it will come within the residue in the estate. So the first question to answer there is who's the, the residuary beneficiary? Okay, that's really interesting.
0: Thank you so much. That is Sonia McIntyre, principal solicitor at Sonia McIntyre Solicitors
1: and chair of the
0: Law Society PR or Committee. Thank you so much for being our expert today. The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business Saturday morning at nine
1: on News Talk.